All right, all right. Great to have everyone here today. Um, yeah, God's doing something pretty cool in the midst as he brings together uh, all of us from different backgrounds to hear about Jesus together. And one of the things at our church that we try to be pretty clear about is what this message of Jesus is, because there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, internet, I love it, but it's the internet, right? So there's a lot of different stuff you can find. And one thing, um, if you're on social media, especially that's been making the rounds a uh, past week or so is there's this video of a particular church and their leaders. I'm not going to name it because I mean, I'm mean, but I'll try not to be too mean, but there's a particular church. And basically the whole point of this video is, is the, the, the pastors just talking about God's real goal is to just make you happy. I mean, really, that's the purpose of everything that goes on. It's for you to be happy. So even you guys, as you're sacrificing a Sunday morning and you're here to worship, it's not really about God. It's about you. This is for you. And, and I mean, and, you know, whatever you want to make, that, that it's in the end, God wants to make you happy. And, you know, in response, which I would agree with, some people say, you know what, that's just total rubbish because it's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. It's about God. It's all about God. It has nothing to do with you. You don't even matter in the equation. And, and though I would agree with that in with most of it, actually, I think that there's something lacking a little bit there as well in, in that idea that it's not about it us all. Um, one famous uh, pastor, John Piper, he writes this really famous thought that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's this idea God does want us to be satisfied. God wants our souls to be filled. And some of you might be shocked to hear this from my mouth because you've heard, if you've heard me preach more than a few times, but I think that's something really small that some of these health and wealth guys even get a little correct. A little bit, a little bit, just a little bit. That God does delight in your joy. That God does want you to express a certain um, joy of living but here's where it's all about you being happy. Theology view of God falls woefully short as in the way that's frequently taught. Yes, God does desire your joy. And sometimes that even looks like happiness. But here's the thing. That joy always comes through suffering. That's the part that's not really taught. <laughs> yeah, happiness, joy. But the suffering aspect that God, yeah, he wants your full satisfaction, full joy, but in the Christian economy, that comes through suffering. And that ties into our passage we're going to be looking at today from Romans chapter 8. If you uh, have a Bible or if you want to pick one up from there, you can read along or you can read up, look up on the screen. Today's passage, we're looking from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. And I'm actually going to read from the last verse that we had last week, from verse 17, to give a fuller context here. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, it's... Some of us are right there. Um, We are struggling. Sometimes we don't even know how to get through the day when we wake up. Life feels heavy, feels overwhelming. And sometimes we hear the subtle lies of our adversary who says, if you really follow God, if God really loved you, would you be going through this? And we pray for clarity of your truth to speak into our lives. Draw us closer to you through your word. Holy Spirit, take these words that can just be nice thoughts and make them food for our souls. Feed us in you. Draw us closer to you. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you were here last week, we talked about the significance of God making us his children. And and we saw how Father God makes us his children through the power or through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we didn't dive into it much last time, but one aspect is that last verse here that we looked at in verse 17, this idea that we become children, but part of that means we become heirs. We become heirs of the inheritance along with our older brother, Jesus Christ. And and if you have ever been an heir of anything, and many of you might not have, what that means is you're part of the will. You are part of the four. You get, you, you have been given a right to what the family has. So there is these riches that are found in belonging to God. Anyone want to be rich? I mean, sometimes, you know, you'll hear that question in churches. That means a whole nother thing. But we're talking about the fact that in Christ is found tremendous riches, and he lavishes us. God loves to lavish us with what's his. And, And if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that those who are in Christ, you're no longer slaves, but you've been transformed into children. Where once we were slaves, now we're children. And some of us, we really need to hear that because the way you still live your Christian life is like you're trying to pay off a debt. Your mindset is, wow, look at all that Jesus did for me on the cross. How can I not now live a certain way? How can I not be generous? How can I not reach out to people? How can I not be kind? And and we live as if we're paying off this great debt because of all that God has done for you. But there's a danger there. I remember uh, this is a long time ago when I was in Philadelphia. I used to work at a mall downtown, um, a pretty prominent mall downtown, and I got to know a lot of the, and this was like a mall, not like you're thinking like Towson Town Center with all these like shishi type of like fancy clothes that no one can really wear type of clothes, but like this was a mall in the middle of the city with, I worked at a fish store, I fried fish, that's what I did, and there was like grocery store, there was a fish market, there was a hokey store, all this, and a lot of the workers there were immigrants, I, I discovered And um, I found out that a lot of the guys that worked there were actually from a certain country who had been brought over to this nation, and not like illegally, well, maybe a little illegal, but they were brought over, and they were working, and these guys would work like all day, 
But they had been paid a great price to come over, but what they needed to do then was work off that debt. They had to work it off hard. And, and I think that's a way that some of us even approach our Christian life, that, wow, look at how much God has done for us. And we work hard and we devote ourselves. We give ourselves because look at the price he paid for us. How much more do I need to pay back? And, and I'm not saying that there's not a genuine thankfulness there. I mean, these guys who came over from this country, I was sure you would ask them. They would say, yeah, I'm really thankful to be in America. I'm really glad that these guys brought me over here. But they also lived under this tremendous debt paying it off. And we have to remember for us, if you are a Christian, that's not the Christian way that you've been set free. And not just that, but now he calls you his son, his daughter, he's Papa, he's daddy, he's big daddy, big Papa. And you're an heir. You receive inheritance. But look at the end of verse 17, because we stop right there and, and these television guys can go off on that, right? All of it belongs to you. Everything. God doesn't even want to keep any for himself. He wants to give it all to you. Well, well, well let's keep reading till the end of 17, where it says that inheritance always comes through suffering. And it's the recognition that contrary to what you hear from some of these health and wealth preachers, life is often going to feel like it's filled with suffering. Life is going to often feel like you've got a lot of difficulty and, and wisdom for you. And, and I want you to hear clear wisdom for you is to not be caught off guard by that. When you go through suffering to not be caught off guard by it. Um, as the apostle writes in first Peter four twelve, we should not be surprised by our trials. This should actually be normal to you that if you're going through difficulties right now, if your heart is filled with agony, if you're in pain, if things don't seem to be going well, welcome to the family. That's what it's saying. That's saying it's saying that's part of what it is. The suffering. Part of that it's what's described in, in a passage verses 18 to 25 that creation itself, all that God has made, it's almost like all of creation is wearing black at a funeral. Like all of creation is groaning. That things like um, tsunamis that wipe out whole nations, that's like a groan. Earthquakes. Um, people doing horrendous things to one another. That's like all these groans that creation itself is longing for something. And, and that these are the norms of a world that is gripped with sin. That, that our world is fractured, that our world's broken. It, it means for you and me, if you're watching the news at night like I do, um, that you get to a point where you can't do anymore because it's just so depressing. I mean, any of you ever been like, you turn on the news and you're like, all right, I need a human interest story real quick because I'm about to like go eat a gallon of ice cream because I'm so depressed right now. And that's, that's my idol, right? But, you know, we, we get to that point where it's just so depressing. It hurts. And, and that's why at the end of the news, you know why they put on that silly story about like a dog that can bounce on one foot or something that makes everyone go, ha, 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 everything's okay again. It's because the rest of it's so depressing that we need to have this kind of silly human interest story where all the news anchors can go, ha, 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 have a good night, fellows. And because the rest of it just drives us out of our mind. It's hard. And I've said this before, but if we looked at the world with honest eyes, it's actually normal to be extremely depressed. If you just look at the world we live in with big open eyes, it would actually be okay to feel kind of depressed because our world's broken 
Have any of you ever thought that? That you look at the world and you say, man, this thing's broken. Maybe we can describe it this way, that the world, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Have you ever said that before? Man, this isn't the way things should be. And in response to that, we try to make the best of it, though, right? Because we can't just stew there in our depression and just feel bad and, like, mope with each other. I mean, we try to do our best. Um, We work hard. We try to leave the world a little bit better than when we entered it, hopefully. You know, maybe we raise a family. We leave a legacy. And, you know, some people, they leave incredible legacies, like incredible works of art or, like, state-of-the-art music, like amazing stuff, or maybe sports, they leave just an incredible legacy of stuff that no one could ever believe a human being could do, or technology, they invite, or they invent these machines that just do more and more and more, and it's like you're, I mean, it just feels like um, science fiction kind of stuff that you're actually able to do. Maybe the legacy is incredible wealth, accumulating a lot, or maybe it's like leaving a great family, you know, different legacies. But there's one fact that's common to all of those legacies. No matter how beautiful the things that we leave, no matter how well-crafted what we work with our hands, our lives, the creators of all those things all lie dead in their graves. Yeah, cheery notes today, right? Whoo, Labor Day, right? No matter how great the things we can make or leave as a legacy, the one common fact that at the end, everyone who made those incredible things, they're all sitting in a grave somewhere. It's that truth that we read in the book of Ecclesiastes that says that life without God is vanity. That life without God is without meaning. That this life is filled with curses, ultimately to the point of death. And the good news for the Christian, I mean, it's not all gloomy. The good news for the Christian is that that's not all there is. Verse 18, it talks about the glory that's to be revealed in us, but again, That glory comes through suffering. And this is not just timing, but this is causal. First suffering, and as a result of suffering, glory. First comes our pain, through which we're forced to stop leaning on ourselves and forced to have to look to someone bigger than ourselves. It's like, they, I mean, I think the, the description here, the groaning of childbirth is really appropriate. And if any of you have been through that process, um, Man, I mean, our first child, there was like 24 hours of groaning through childbirth. It was like a long process. And at a certain point where you're just helpless as a dude, I'm like, let's just keep walking in the mall. And, you know, you're just, there's groans and there's pain. And, and it's, it's like, it feels like it's not going to stop. It just feels like it's, it's, it's like you, there's nothing you can do about it, that there's suffering for the present time. But ultimately, God willing, it leads to glorious life. This wrinkly little thing that comes out, blah, blah, but it's beautiful. That all that suffering, all that groaning leads eventually to this glorious life. And, and guys, here's why we're making such a big deal out of this today, all this talk about suffering. That suffering will not always produce the same result in every person. Suffering, when we encounter it, it's not always going to produce the same result. Remember, Jesus, when he hung on the cross, if you know the story, there was, some, there was someone on each side of him. There were two people hanging in there, but two very res- different responses. Two people hung on both uh, sides of the cross of Jesus. But one, for one, the suffering hardened his heart to the point where he just mocked Jesus and cursed God. The other, suffering moved his heart in humility to say, Lord, remember me too. So suffering in our lives, it's not automatically that's going to lead to glory. Suffering 
can produce very different results for all of us. And I want you to know that because as your pastor, I love you. I mean, dearly, I, I, I dearly love you guys because I feel more than just because you're all cute and all, which, you know, you are. But more than that, it's because I believe God has put you in this church for me as his under shepherd to shepherd you. I take that responsibility big time because I feel God's given me responsibility to help guide you to the ultimate shepherd, Jesus, for you to be able to see him. So I take that really seriously. And because I love you, I don't feel I can get up week after week and just try to put a positive spin on life. You know, just here, here's your motivational thought for the week. I know the rest of life is crud, but here's something to get you through. Here's a half hour of nice things you can put up on your Facebook afterwards that just make you smile and turn that frown upside down. I mean, I can't do that in good conscience because probably like a lot of you that I know, I recognize life is hard. Life is, amen? Is life hard for anyone in here? Life is extremely hard. And, and no one needs to tell anyone living in Baltimore City that life is hard. I mean, we, we know that. It's the world we live in. And here's the thing. That difficulty, hardness of life, it can lead to your heart becoming very hardened. The, the suffering, the trials you go through, it can lead to your heart becoming very hardened if you're not careful. And here's how that happens. Here's what I mean. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of all preachers on TV, but it's okay. Um, don't listen to preachers on TV. That's just a good rule of thumb. But here's the thing. You're going to run into most of them on TV who will say things like what I described in the beginning. God's whole goal is just for you to be happy. The reason why he made you, the reason why he constructed this whole thing called a cross and why the Son of God was slaughtered and brutalized was so that you can live a happy, happy, joy, joy life. That God's main purpose is that he just wants you to smile. Really, I mean, that's what the suffering of the the Savior was about, so that you can smile, that he wants you to have your best life now. That, you know, following God will make all your dreams come true. But And and I want to be careful that I fully affirm God makes life better. Hear Hear me say that. God makes life better. Amen? We need to know that's true, right? I'm not saying, oh, follow God, because if you want to suffer, you better follow. I mean, no, God makes life better, and most of us in this room can testify to that. But here's the insidious danger. The implied message is that if things don't go the way that you were hoping they would, if you're not as happy as you always thought you should be, if your marriage starts to crumble in its foundations, if Oh, illness strikes your family and sometimes even takes people away. If your whole zeros in your bank account suddenly get depleted because of some emergency. If you start battling mental illnesses or physical illnesses or addictions. Or, God forbid, some violence occurs to you or to your home. There, it's this subtle message that if you do encounter suffering... If you do encounter sickness, if you do encounter difficulty, hardship, trial, as we all do, that God must not love you as much as he used to. Or he doesn't love you as much as that person who life seems to be going really well. Because the danger of this kind of message is we start to gauge whether God really loves us and adores us and cares for us based on suffering or perhaps better, absence of suffering in our life. 
and, and let's be realistic here. We're all about keeping it real here at the village, right? Um, some of the hardship you experience, I'm not pointing any fingers here. I'm just pointing noses. Um, all, but it's all of us. Some of the hardship that we experience is directly related, related to the choices we make. Let's just be brutally honest. We can't, because I hear sometimes, I'll talk to people, like they've made some really questionable choices. And then afterwards, God, why would you let me go through this? I'm like, yo, Holmes, you made the choice to do that. You got, let's take that into account here. I'm, I, so I'm not dismissing that, but you also need to hear this. Some of the suffering that you endure, some of the painfulness that you're even going through right now, it's not because of bad choices you've made, but it's precisely because God is leading you on a path of suffering so that you would be led into the richness of life with him. That's a bold statement for a preacher to make. I'm not necessarily saying God is the one inflicting pain on you, but in his great power, he may definitely be allowing certain things to happen in your life for the purpose of your relationship with him. And guys, in in a big picture sense, that's some of the hope that we see described here in the whole world in creation. That as broken as things might seem, as much as you look at the news or you read your news, and, and as much as things don't seem like they're the way they're supposed to be, that God is at work. So what that means is that all these things that look like they're death and destruction, things like earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and droughts, that these are not death pangs, but they're actually life pangs. That as much as they seem about death and destruction, it is, but it's not purely about it. It's pointing to the fact that creation is groaning for help and relief. That in verse 20, it says creation is subject to futility and groaning in the pains of childbirth, as we see in verse 22. That the hope is that one day, someday creation will be set free from the bondage and be free, as we see in verse 21. And a lot of folks... And we are not about debating this, at least for today. A lot of folks have really different ideas about creation and how God makes everything and how he made everything. Um, But I think sometimes in the midst of all that, we can lose sight of the bigger truth that God one day intends to create a new heaven and a new earth. That what we see as broken is actually groaning for something that's going to be coming new and hopeful. That God will restore creation and bring back paradise. And for you and I, if you're a Christian, your life gets to point to this. Verse 23, right? It says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In a way, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit is our down payment from God. It's like the Holy Spirit is our down payment from God. And any of you have ever paid a down payment on something? There's this weird dynamic. Say if you're buying a car, you will put it down because most of us are not in the place where we can just straight cash, homie, boom, put it all down, pay for the whole thing at once. You put a down payment and then you make payments, right? So in one sense, it fully belongs to you, but it doesn't quite because you stop making a payment. It could be taken away. So you have to still do this. And one day... After all the payments are done, it will fully belong to you. And, and the analogy is not perfectly clear with this. But it's that same sense for a Christian. Similarly, that um, in one sense, you've been purchased by God and different from the car. You're, it's fully yours. No one can take that away. But it's also a not yet in that you're working it out. 
And it doesn't mean that God doesn't fully love you or that he doesn't fully claim you and that you're not going to spend eternity with him, but you're presently living out in this world the pain and the suffering. Have any of you ever doubted when you've heard preachers say, oh, yeah, you know, God loves you so much he's going to make your life better. And you're like, why then my life? (laughs) What am I going through right now? That's part of living it out. That, that's part of that groaning process. That's part of the payment. And the Holy Spirit is evidence for you that you are God's. When you have the Holy Spirit, you, that's like that down payment evidence. You do belong to God. And one day, you're going to experience the full payment of that. You're going to experience the full adoption of as his son and daughter. And part of the not yet is that our present journey will involve suffering. Verse 18 again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I want to be really careful. This is not meant to minimize our suffering. You guys got to hear this. this is, these, these verses are not meant to minimize our suffering because here's what I mean. Churches, Christians, we do a really poor job with suffering when we see it in other people but also in ourselves. Because we develop little bumper sticker kind of sayings. Like if someone's going through a really hard time, we say things like, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I, I, I don't like to go through a window. I want to go through a door. I don't fully understand things like that. But we, we tend to try to minimize suffering. We, we have this, I would say, distorted theology that says, you know what, in the end, all this is going to burn. So even though you're suffering now, you know, it's only present stuff, but one day you'll be in glory. So none of this even matters. This, is, this isn't real stuff. It's like a dream you're having. <laughs> and so many people who are hurting, the, you know the reason why they're not in church is because they don't want to hear that. Because it's real life. It's every day. And I think this gives us hope here to say that's not how God views it. He views the struggle. He views the suffering. And what verse 18 is actually doing, it's actually giving us a voice to our suffering. It's inviting you to really consider how broken things are in your life. It's saying you don't have to sugarcoat it. Like really chew on how broken you feel. Because this is not meant to minimize your suffering, but rather it's meant to give you a point of comparison. That as painful, as grieved as you are, even right now maybe over your suffering, as as heavy things are in your heart, in your life, as tough as it is, that much greater is the glory of God in Christ. That as much as you're feeling pain and weary and want to give up, man, how much greater then has got to be this glory that God wants to give to you one day? It's meant to be a point of comparison. Because what it means to be glorified is like the followers of Jesus when Jesus first died on a cross and a few days later he rose from the grave and they saw him. I would have loved to see their faces because I would have believed it was a perpetual, like in shock that what they had just witnessed in all of his brutal brutality and blood and torn flesh and just, and you know, kids are here, so rated PG-13, but just really brutal stuff as they had seen all that, as they had witnessed it with their own eyes, now they're seeing flesh put that, put back together. Now they're seeing a, a healed body. Now they're seeing a resurrected body full of glory. How beautiful a picture is that? And as Jesus has been glorified, 
the Holy Spirit's promise to you is that you also, if you are in him, you will also be fully glorified. Even though you might currently feel like you're struggling and groaning. That all your tears, all your suffering, all your anguish have not been for waste. That God knows. And one day, he will fully glorify you if you're in him. And that's the hope we have. And that's what verses 24 to 25 are talking about here. About hoping for what we don't see. Because it means for the Christian that we look very deliberately at life. We look with eyes wide open and we see, we see things as, as they will be rather than what they even are. That what this means for the Christian is that you look and you look. It's not like you're an idiot. You see the pain. You see the hurt. You see the suffering in others but also in yourself. But you're able to see the glory that's to come. And that's what Jesus allows us to do. Ultimately, that's an eternity spent with God. I love this one song I heard recently. It's an old song, but I recently heard it again. One line says, no more pain, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sin, no more sickness, no injustice, no more death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine in existence no more of those things that have just become normal for so many of us? Maybe if I can make it a little bit more real here. No more cancer. No more child abuse. No more hunger. No more sex trafficking. No more depression. No more addictions. No more divorce. No more daddies leaving their families. No more Ferguson. No more ISIS. No more death. It's the promise God is giving us to gaze at even as we see what we see in this world that the Holy Spirit it's, it's our first fruits that that is to come. And so we live in hope now. And I think a message like this, I think it leads itself naturally, and, and we have a limited time here, but for some of us who are going through some of those inward groanings right now, maybe you're, you're living out what it means to be adopted, but you're living out the, the groaning. For us to be able to pray for you and to know what's going on and to be able to, as we pray, for us to know and for us to be able to point you to hope. But I wanted to open up the mic for just a couple of minutes if anyone briefly wants to come up and share maybe some of the things you're going through, some of the sufferings you're going through, so that we could pray with you. That as people who believe in hope, we're able to fight together and say, this is not all there is. There's more. Again, if no one has anything to share, it's okay. I got like an extra 40 minutes of sermon. I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with you. But... um. Does anyone have anything they'd like to share in that heart that we could even pray for you or that we could be aware of for you? You want to come up? The, the odds are some of us in this room, you don't know who Jesus is. And I don't mean you don't headwise know, but you have in your heart, you haven't gotten to the place where you said, I'm broken and I need someone to fix me. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus who died on a cross for my sins. I need to receive him. I need to find life in him. If that's you today, Stop being proud. Stop trying to fix yourself and say, Jesus, I need you. Let these songs be your heart cry. And we're going to, well, I'm going to welcome you to the, the communion table, Lord's Supper. And if you're a Christian, you can come up both sides of the table at the same time and take a piece of the wafer and remember the broken body of Jesus, that he's not a savior unfamiliar with sufferings. He's all about suffering for the hope of glory. And you dip it in the cup and you remember his shed blood that cleanses our sin. You take it right there at the table.
And I'm going to encourage you to do that and remember the hope, especially if you're going through some of this stuff, that it all has a purpose, our glorification in Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to go into this time. Lord, I pray just as many have shared. I'm sure there's many more who have things in our heart that we are bursting with. And, Lord, would you allow this time of music and worship and song to be our heart cry to you? And, Lord, maybe even some of us don't have words to put to our suffering, our, our trials, but maybe we'll hear it in these songs. And would you minister to our hearts? And God, our world is all about trying to be stronger, trying to be more competent, trying to be smarter, trying to be rise quicker, all of these things. But maybe the message you're giving us is to sit in some of that brokenness so that we might find where true healing comes from in Jesus. And some of us who've been trying for so long in our lives to be competent and to be healed and to be restored in ways other than you, maybe today you're inviting us to find it in the only way that's really going to work for eternity in Jesus. So help us to do that today, right now, as we remember you, as we sing to you, as we minister to one another in you. So let me ask you to stand up and you can sing. Oh, you can also pray. Maybe you can pray with some other people if you feel led to do so. Um, but let's do, let's stand up together right now and we can start singing. Feel to come up to the table as you feel led. If you're not a Christian, maybe today is the first time you can take communion as a follower of Christ. And let us know. Fill it out in the card. But let us know.